Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Uh, my name's John. I, uh, I get the uh, overwhelming privilege of serving on the amazing staff here at Sunrise uh, amongst all these amazing folks. Uh, you here at all our sites, uh, online, uh, it's just a, really a privilege to be able to serve. And I am excited to be able to wrap up the series, as you heard mentioned earlier. We've been in a series called Family Hacks, and uh, the reason we did that was because Family is something that holds a space in all of our hearts. It's important to us. It's really critical, I think, to each and, and every one of us. And it's something that uh, we wrestle with and we rejoice with and we have tears and sometimes we want to quit and sometimes we want them to quit and sometimes we want to go crazy over our families. And as we come to, be, to a place where many of you have, where you're in a life of faith and you're following after Jesus, uh, sometimes there could be rifts within the family even over that. There could be rifts over other things. Uh, what I want to do is talk to you a little bit because we've been talking about some very practical things, you know, how to help your family and how to love your family, how to deal with failure. Uh, today we want to talk about a topic that I think is critical to our families. It's something we deal with every single day uh, throughout all of our lives. It never stops. And yet in the midst of all of that, it sort of has this dual effect on our families. There are times when this thing can can wreck our families. There's times when it can make our families. And I think that so much of it is how we respond to it. Uh, and so what I want to talk to you a little bit today is, is about how to navigate change. Because change is something that happens to all of us all the time. There is, there is a change that happens in our culture. There's a change that happens to us. Uh, even just physically, there's changes that happen within the context of our family dynamics. There's change that happens all around us. Some of you can know, even just in the last couple of years, there have been changes uh, that we've had to deal with even in our society. We had to deal with the changes that came with COVID and it kind of shaped some of the things of how we do things. Some of us don't shop the same. We don't watch movies the same. We don't, we, we don't even attend church the same. There's so many different things uh, that change just as a result of that. And over the last 20 years, even more has changed. Uh, even something as simple as our cell phones, which so many of you have, they look different than they used to look, right? I mean, they used to look huge. Remember back in the day? You were carrying around like a briefcase that doubled as a phone, and then it shrunk to a shoe, and then it shrunk to even smaller. Pretty soon there were flip phones, but they went out, and then iPhones came along, but now flip phones are back. I don't know what's going on. Um, social media, it's very hard to keep up with with social media, right? I mean, uh, I don't even know what the latest thing the kids are in now. You know, but I know that uh, all of us, you know, some of us still think it's Facebook. <laughs> Everybody left Facebook. I'm just letting you know. Uh, no, but seriously, I mean, there's so many different social media uh, things that come across and come across. And, and, and even um, some of the things that, that seemed like stables in our culture can be changing. And, and what happens is, is, is that we have a choice to make whenever this comes. It's like, how do we navigate this? How do we deal with it? What is it that we're going to do with all of this change that comes along? So what I want to do is kind of break down a little bit uh, about some of the stuff that when this change hits, what do we do in our families that then allows us uh, to actually manage change, navigate in such a way that it becomes a positive for our families? Because I believe that no matter what the change may be, 
There is a choice that stands before us that God wants to use, that if we make that choice, then God can begin to leverage change uh, to make a huge difference in our families. And when we don't manage this correctly, when it becomes something that we don't do well, can affect our families negatively for literally generations to come. Some of you are dealing with things that, that, that started generations ago because someone didn't make the kind of choice that we're going to talk about today. And some of you are facing things that are so, so gripping right now that it's, it's occupying all of your time that deal with your family. And there's a choice before you. And you may not even think there's a choice, but there is. That I think if you make the right choice, it can help you get through that versus the wrong choice, which can actually be devastating and, again, affect uh, all kinds of future generations. Change is so prevalent that even the Bible, whether it surprises you or not, talks about it. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 1, many of you are familiar with this. Some of you didn't even know it was in the Bible. But it says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity uh, under the heavens. Now, I've seen this in movies. I've seen this quoted uh, all over the place. The Bible even understands change because there is a certain amount of change that we can all anticipate. Even as we grow, we change, right? You're born in this family that you didn't choose. You're trying to figure this stuff out as you get older. You start to learn how to talk, and the first words out of your mouth are usually why. And then, and then you keep going through life, and all of a sudden this thing called puberty hits you. You talk about changing. Some of you are like, I never want to go back to that, you know. Uh, there's change that happens because as we get older, then we, we start to think about a spouse or maybe not a spouse. We start to think about a home or where we're going to live. Sometimes we want to think about a career, and that may or may not involve college, which is a whole other choice. Uh, there's choices amongst the, who the friends we have. There's choices in terms of what family activities and events we do. Uh, then, then, then you start saving up. Uh, as you start to get a career and you begin to save up because you have this thing called retirement that's hanging out in the balance. And once in a while, that retirement is still there when you get there. And sometimes it's not. Uh, and there's so many different changes, you know, job changes, uh, all kinds of things that go on as a result of just living life. And, 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 and Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who wrote that, the wisest guy in the Bible or maybe even the world, says that you should expect this. But there are some changes that we will never expect. There are some changes that come that just, I never saw that coming. When I was 11 years old and my folks decided to divorce, I didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know that was going to happen. Sometimes you have to deal with second marriages or third marriages. Sometimes you have to deal with uh, blended families. Sometimes you have to deal with uh, loss of loved ones. Some of you had to bury a child or a spouse, and you never thought that was going to happen in that way. Some of you are having to deal with income loss and debilitating illnesses and caring for aging parents or maybe caring for aging kids that you shouldn't have to care for, but they're still living in your basement. But, you know, there's all kinds of change. Some of you are that aging child who you just realize, wait, it's not okay? No, it's not okay. Um, <laughs> your parents didn't tell me this, but get a job. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking, but I'm joking. Um, <laughs> And then the, the biggest change of all is dealing, in my opinion at least, or maybe the hardest thing to deal with in families that, that creates so much change is dealing with unbelieving family members. Some of you are here and you are the unbelieving family member. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Uh, because something happens, something shifts when we begin to become followers of Jesus uh, that creates uh, stress and tension oftentimes in some of our closest relationships. And what do we do with that? You know, do we just come in blasting with the word of God all the time and preaching them, you know, and arguing them into the kingdom? Are there other things that we do? Um, 
we want to figure out what do, how do we manage all of this change. Now, what might surprise you or maybe you never thought about is even Jesus went through a ton of change. There's a ton of change that went on in Jesus' life. First of all, the biggest change was that he left heaven to come to earth. And I don't know about you, but, you know, you're leaving the comfort of being, you know, he's the creator, the Bible tells us. He, he's, you know, before he was our savior, he was the creator. He spoke things into existence. He's responsible for it all. Um, he's managing all of creation. He's doing all of these things. And then he, he makes the choice, the decision to take on human flesh. And we'll talk later about what he was trying to do there. But to enter into a human body, to be born, to be a child, to grow up in this family he didn't choose. Uh, or he did choose, I should say, but they didn't know who he was. And then he's being raised in this family as a kid. He hit puberty too. Uh, Jesus went through stresses in his family, stresses with his folks, stresses with his community. He had to live with a rumor as he was growing up that he was an illegitimate child because there was a rumor that Mary was pregnant and Joseph wasn't the father. Uh, we talk about it every Christmas, we celebrate, but think about having to live with that in that community. He had to live with the expectations of parents because as he grew and learned uh, the, the trade that his dad did, he had to decide at some point between ministry and doing what his dad wanted him to do. His heavenly father versus his earthly dad. He had to make that decision. There's one story that I love in Luke chapter 2 uh, where it kind of communicates some of this, this, this stress, this tension, this change. It says in Luke chapter 2 verse 41, every year... Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. This was a, a, the, the largest celebration of the year for Jewish families. No matter where you lived, you would oftentimes try to make an effort to travel back into Jerusalem. So they would make this travel, and they didn't have cars and all that other stuff. So this was a bit of a journey. It says when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while the parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Their 12-year-old son that they brought in, their middle school child, they bring in, and, and, and he decides to stay back, and they don't even know it. In fact, in verse 44, it says, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for another day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Do you have Monty? Do you have my uncle? What's going on here? Where's my kid? Where, what happened to Jesus, right? And they don't know. So after three days... <laughs> Or so I should say, when they did not find him, they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they find him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard this or heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. In verse 49, I love this. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? There's a change. All of those expectations the parents had and all the things they thought were going for the first 12 years, they shifted. And it says uh, in verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so then he went down to Nazareth and he kind of grew up regularly. In verse 52, which is important, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. The point is this, that even in the midst of all of Jesus' life, he had to also deal with change, and that change affected the family because he being the firstborn was supposed to be the one who would take care, for instance, of his mom. But there he is on the cross because of his ministry, which sent him to death, and he's not even taking, he's saying, giving that responsibility out, but not even to any of his brothers who he had, but to John, one of the followers of Jesus, that can you take care of my mom? 
giving up that responsibility, not even keeping it in the family, the responsibility to carry on the family business, being the firstborn, to be responsible for that, giving that up so he could do the father's work, uh, giving up and creating tension with his brothers who in John 7 sarcastically would make, tell him to go ahead and leave town because he wasn't really wanted there and maybe all that miracle talk and all that stuff he was trying to do could work better in another town. There was tension. These same brothers, at least one of them we know of, would become a believer later, but during his life, before his death and resurrection, he had tension with his family. Changes. Some of us might feel better hearing some of that, but here's the reality, and Jesus knew this, Solomon knew this, we know this, change is inevitable. It's just something that we're all going to always have to deal with. And as you came in here, you're like, yes, and that's not brilliant, Pastor, so I hope it gets better from here. It does. Because the thing is not about learning that there is change and that it's inevitable. It's understanding how to navigate it. What do we do with it? How do we handle it? Even in the midst of all the heavy change that I'm going through in my life now, how can we deal with this? Well, I would point you to another character from the Old Testament. His name was Daniel. He was a teenager. I love to think about people who were teenagers at one point or younger at one point, and God did something in their life. As a teenager, he was in a, kind of an upper middle class, noble kind of family. His life was on a great track. He was going to do good things. And a nation came named Babylon, came and invaded his home country, stripping all of the young men who had any kind of potential, who had any kind of value. He, they took them from, kidnapped them literally from their country and brought them over to Babylon. So he was removed from his family, removed from his future, removed from anything that he had been dreaming about. There are some who believe that in the process they even castrated these guys because they're going to put them in the court. They didn't want them causing some rebellion or revolt later. They didn't want them having children that would later revolt. So maybe, just maybe, even losing the chance to bear children or losing the chance to ever be married or any of those things that he may have been dreaming about. In the midst of that, then he was forced to adopt the ways of the invading nation. Many of them would violate his faith and his desire to follow after God. And, and Daniel, in the midst of all of this change, makes an interesting choice in chapter 1, verse 8. It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. It means he made up his mind. He put, planted a flag and he said, I'm not going to do this. And he would go on and pay a price for that in, in many ways. His friends, a few chapters later, were thrown into a a fiery furnace, basically, uh, to be killed because they would not bow down to a false idol. Daniel himself was tested because he wouldn't eat the wrong kinds of food because it was sacrificed to idols and would give credit to those idols for that food. He didn't want to do that. There were many, many different places in which Daniel could have been injured, killed, harmed, lots of things. But God, because of his decision, chose to walk with Daniel through this. As an elderly man, as he got older, there was a new kingdom that invaded his invading kingdom. And Daniel was now working for a new kingdom. Uh, and he was set up uh, by some people who were jealous of him. He was basically racially profiled and set up for his life to be over. Uh, by setting up a law that they knew that Daniel would not violate, they put Daniel in a position where he would have to be thrown into a den filled with lions. And yet God delivered him from that as well. What's great is all along the way, God gave Daniel visions. Well, at the end of his life, he gave him a vision that talked about some of the future that was happening. Daniel was struggling to figure out what it all meant. He's asking for God to help him understand the vision, and there's a long wait for the answer. And, he asked, and, and there was a choice at that point to keep waiting on God, to give up, to think God had left him, but he waited. And finally, a messenger came, and in chapter 10, it says this, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, 
and I have come in response to them. Here's what this tells him that also tells us. When we set our minds to follow God, when we set our minds to stay in there in the midst of change, heavy change, life-altering change, gut-wrenching, heart-breaking, physical, visceral change that we have to deal with. I'm not talking about little change like they closed the on-ramp or I missed the McDonald's timeline for breakfast. I'm talking about the kind of change that would rip our hearts out, that would make us want to quit on a marriage, that would make us want to quit on a family, that would make us want to quit on God or quit on life even. When that change hits, there's a choice to make. And what this text tells me and what I know is, as Jesus was committed to the work of his father, even to some degree for a period of time, at the expense of his family, and Daniel, who was ripped from his family and had no family, but made the choice to resolve in his heart not to defile himself and to continue with God. What it tells me is that God hears that. And he knows that. And from the day you make that choice, he is with you. And you may not get the answer when you want it, and you may not hear it when you want to hear it, but he's coming. And he's going to do something. And not probably, I'll be honest with you, I'll be real, I'm not going to lie to you up here. He's probably nine times out of ten not going to do the thing you hope for. But he's going to do the thing that you will eventually worship him for. Because it's a better decision than the thing you wanted. Until, until you match your heart and mind with his. Then Jesus says, anything you ask, I'll give it to you. So here's the thing that I want you to know today. Change is inevitable. But growth, that's a choice. There's a lot of other choices you could make, but growth is the choice you want to make. You could choose to quit. You could choose to give up. You could choose to, to, to isolate yourself. You could choose to make yourself a victim for the rest of your life. You can choose, by the way, to not choose, which is still a choice. But I want you to choose growth. And then here's your family hack. Because now this is for you. What's for my family? I want you to decide, to determine, to inspire your family to also choose growth. I say also because they're not going to choose growth if you don't choose it. But in you choosing it, you have the opportunity to inspire the rest of your family to also choose growth. And what I want to do is just with the rest of our time is talk a little bit about three areas of growth that are not exclusive, they're not exhaustive. They're just three areas that you, can, that you can begin to pursue. And then I want to talk for each area about one thing that you can do to get started. The first area that I want you to think about is how you can develop an unflinching commitment. How can I begin to develop an unflinching commitment to my family and to my God. And actually, it's the other way around. Let me develop it to my God first. And then in doing that, he will help me develop it for my family. Because what happens is too many people are giving in too easily and quickly on commitment. We make commitments to our spouses and our weddings. And we have all these great vows. And then all of a sudden, change happens. And we want to quit and give up. Sometimes, most of the time, it's because we somehow have turned inwardly and we're thinking about just ourselves and we forgot about the commitment that we've made. And listen, I'm not asking you 
ultimately to even make a commitment to your spouse as much as I'm asking you to make a commitment to God. And in that commitment to God, you're saying, I'm going to stay committed to my spouse and into my marriage, to your kids, to your parents, to your immediate family, your extended family. There are commitments that we make to our job. You know, a simple commitment is just be on time to your job. How many times have we fell in that commitment? I'm not asking, but I've talked to your bosses. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the truth is, for all of us to develop an unflinching commitment, we have to take on the heart that Paul had in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, what is more... I consider everything a loss. Now, just keep in mind this text. He had just described all the wonderful things he had done with his education, with his, um, with his finances, with, with, with his level of standing in the community, all of these things. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. In the original language, that word garbage, we, we translate it to be nice, but the truth is it means dung. So he's saying, I consider all that boo-boo <laughs> compared to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the ultimate prize. Being unflinchingly committed to Christ, that's the ultimate prize. It's better than everything else that I could ever gain in this life. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. What Paul says is I'm leaning into my faith. I'm leaning in to my pursuit of Jesus and knowing him and trying to do all that I can to come into a relationship with him. That's what I'm going to lean in. I'm pressing in. I'm pressing on. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I don't care what the change is. If you want to know more about Paul's life of change, read 2 Corinthians 11. It talks about 11 times being shipwrecked, being beaten with rods, being betrayed by countrymen, uh, being arrested, all kinds of things. Why? Because he leaned into his faith and he said, I'm going to pursue Christ to the point that I'm going to plant churches and communities. And I'm not even going to my own people because he was Jewish. I'm going to go to non-Jewish people and I'm going to deal with all kinds of stress and change and persecution and I'm going to persevere. Why? Because knowing Christ is worth all of it. And I know some of you are hurting here. You are, again, your heart is broken. You're to the point where sometimes you can't even think. You don't even know. You move out of an automated movement mode because you're just in a daze. And I'm here to tell you, if you stay committed to your God, he will not waste your pain. And he will be there in that pain with you. And if you were, and this is where I want you to start, to engage your faith. If you were to get into your faith where you begin to engage it and, and interact with it and begin to work with it, that means spending time with God in prayer and, and, and making commitments, even with your finances and saying, I'm going to give God the first of everything. If you engage in your faith, I believe because the Bible tells me, but not even just that, the Bible tells me because the people who wrote the Bible did it. And they know that God will meet you in that pain. He will meet you in that need. He will meet you in that commitment. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. And every other alternative that takes you away from that faith, that makes you engage in your own personal sort of you know, development or efforts or whatever else will disappoint you in the end. But God will not. 
That doesn't mean disappointing things won't happen, but God will not disappoint you. And you'll be able to manage through those, those things as well. And then you will be able to inspire your family to do the same. You'll be able to take that and your family will see you doing that and they will rally around you as well. Because you'll have something that this, does not, this world cannot offer. You'll have something that they've never seen before. And that will inspire them to try it too. So develop an unflinching commitment. Engage your faith. Develop a quiet time with God. Get a mentor. Get into a small group. These are all ways that we can engage our faith. Some of you are taking root to get into that. Get into a group. Get in, have a mentor. Mentor someone else. Serve in a ministry. These are all ways in which you can begin to engage your faith. Here's number two, an unwavering conviction. It's important and critical to us that we grow our faith. And what I mean by that is our capacity to trust Jesus. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that's why I love that word conviction. It's that deep, guttural kind of just, man, I'm just not giving up. I'm digging in. It's like tug of war and you're the anchor and you're digging all the way in because I know that we can do this. I know that with God I can do this. And one of the things that we need to be about is exercising our trust because that's what develops that conviction. So many times our trust is still at an infant level. And the way that you grow it is exercise it. You know, when you exercise, you grow things, right? You grow your muscles, you grow your endurance, you grow. I mean, if you're weightlifting, I, I, you know, I've heard when you weight train. <laughs> no, I remember when I first started going back to the gym, man. And, and, and I say going back because I want you to think I used to go. Anyway, I, went, I started going to the gym. And I, and I knew because you see these guys walking around and they're just in shape, right? I'm not talking about the big swollen, you know, steroid. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not, I don't want that. I don't want to walk around just heavy breathing because I'm just angry at everything. You know, but look at this, you know. I'm talking about people are fit and they got tone and definite, you know. I was shaking some of your hands. I always like to go shake a hand and grab a shoulder. How you doing? Man, some of you, I'm like, wow. You know, and some of you notice. So don't worry, I'm not weird. I just, wow. The, the, <laughs> the thing is, is that when you start out, you don't have a lot of strength. So you go in thinking, man, I'm going to come right over here, these big 50-pound dumbbells that are like this big. I remember the first time I did that, I'm looking around. I'm, you know, there's mirrors everywhere. So you can see in the mirror, everybody's looking at you like people are watching me. It's cool. Right? And you go to lift, and I, I can't even move them. I'm just, I'm looking up, and people are starting to think. And all of a sudden, I reach in my pocket, act like I got a cell phone call so I can back off, you know. <laughs> So then I started going down because there's a rack of them, right, different levels. I'm like, okay, no, no, no. Man, I came all the way over here. Now here I am doing dumbbell curls with a couple of Tootsie Rolls. You know what I mean? I'm like just <laughs> mad, you know, man, what am I doing? And, but I had to build up. Now I'll just be proud to tell you I've worked my way from five to about 15, 20 pounds in. That's what I'm doing, Right. No, it's not worth clapping. Trust me, no, it's not worth clapping. Not worth clapping. <laughs> but the point is, is that I was exercising and I was building strength. When you exercise your trust, your capacity to trust God will grow. So start with small things and build your way up. We don't need world-changing faith all the way over there. What we need is everyday faith and everyday trust in God. And then you step out. Some of you are doing that just by going to work. Some of you are doing that by just living life because of the stuff you're going through. That faith is helping you to begin 
to, to, to exercise your trust so that you can grow in your trust until eventually you're going to have the kind of faith that is unwavering. James, we're going to be in the book of James next week, uh, but it talks about asking God for wisdom if you need something. You know, one thing would be wisdom, but he says when you ask for things that you need, ask without doubting. Because if you doubt, you become like a mammy tossed around in the, by the waves. That's a wavering faith. You become double-minded because you're asking, but you're not really sure. You're not convinced. You're not convicted of it. So he says when you ask, make sure you're convicted. Make sure you're asking because you really believe that he can do it. Now, when he begins to do that in your life, then it grows your capacity to trust him for more. Here's the third thing, uncompromising character. So we want to develop unflinching commitment. We want to have unwavering conviction. Now we also want to develop an uncompromising character. Why? Because Romans tells us we glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance. We might even put the word in changes. Changes can produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. There isn't anybody in this room that doesn't want hope. Some of you are in situations where you're desperately looking for hope. Hope comes from character. Character is developed from perseverance. Perseverance is developed because you dig in when those tough times come. You dig in when the challenges and the changes happen. You dig in with your faith. You dig in with your commitment. You dig in, and because of that, your character is developed, and people see that. Your character, by the way, is everything that you do and who you are when no one's looking. That's your character. And when your character becomes Christ-like... So you begin to develop the character that Christ had. That's what Daniel developed, even though he didn't even know Jesus yet. When you develop that kind of character, people see it. Because it doesn't exist very much in this world. And they are inspired by it. And that includes your family, includes your spouse, includes your kids, includes your mom and dad, includes aunts and uncles and other extended family, in-laws. Oh, man, in-laws, those are tough, right? We're not even going to talk about in-laws. Here's number two. What I mean by it, since number two, here's how, where you start. Here's where you start when it comes to uncompromising character. Just think, emulate Jesus. Remember those bracelets, what would Jesus do? They kind of went out of vogue, but it's not a bad question. What would Jesus do? Maybe a better question is, who do I want to be in this situation? Do I want to be like everybody else in the world, or do I want to be like Jesus? And you know, if you answer the question of who you want to be, you're going to answer the question of what you should do. It's a mindset. Remember Daniel. <laughs> he set his mind. He, he decided. He made a choice. And in that process, he was able to become who God wanted him to be. Unflinching commitment, unwavering conviction, uncompromising character. These are growth pursuits. We're not there. We're not going to get there. But our starting points can be by engaging our faith, exercising our trust, emulating Jesus. Now, let me close with this. How can you inspire your family to choose growth also? Well, the first step, obviously, is you doing it. And then as you do it, not just talk, you know, I just tell them to do it, but you do it, then they're going to be inspired by that. But here's some ways you can involve them in that that might also inspire them. Maybe you can cast a family vision. You know, a family vision is one that sets a lighthouse for families when they start to get lost in the fog. You know, you're on the ocean or whatever, you're coming north to the shore, you start to waver. You look for that lighthouse, you're like, okay, I'm the ship, that's where I go. It could set the course for your ship as a family. 
That's a vision. It's saying, what, where do we want to go? What do we want to be? Write it down. Put it somewhere. I love these families that came up here. And I know that they all developed something to that effect. And they were up here saying, we're dedicating our children. We're going to dedicate our whole family to make sure that we raise our kids, but also we ourselves live a life that is consistent with Christ. Maybe you create some family values. Maybe you could take the last name of your family. You know, my last name's Hill. So I was thinking through, like, what would I do? H-I-L-L. I, you know, I didn't come up with one for you. But I'm saying you could think of values that stand for each one of those letters. You can also carve a family strategy. That's your playbook. As a family, what is the strategy that we do that helps us accomplish our vision that is based on our values? What do we do? Do we have family nights? Do we do dinners together? Do we have a date night? Uh, maybe there's theme nights that we do, like game nights or costume party or whatever. There are families that do a lot of this stuff, and there's some who don't. But maybe you start to do that. Maybe you have a strategy about devices because you have tablets and phones and everything else. And you know when teenagers get to be teenagers, they like to do things on the download. They call it the low key. But anyway, they, they try to do that stuff. So maybe you're saying, you know what, as a family, we want to stay committed to God and pure and our character to be great. So tell you what, all the devices, uh, when everybody goes to bed, whatever bedtime is, the charging station is in mom and dad's room. You don't keep it all night. Because we want you to rest. That's one of our values. It's even one of God's commands. We want you to rest. I don't want you up all night looking on the phone and worried about all that stuff. You know what, nothing's going to happen at night that you can't worry about the next morning. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying maybe that's one of your strategies. There's just things like that that you could begin to do. The point is don't overwhelm your family. Don't overdo it. Just pick a starting point and see what you can start to do to help inspire your family. So as we've talked about change, I, I, before we get done, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the biggest change that's happened in human history. The biggest change that's ever happened in human history is when Adam and Eve, the first family that we all come from, if you didn't know that, they made a decision, a poor decision. Their poor choice was to disobey God. And in that, they ushered sin into the world, into their lives, into the lives of all of their descendants, which include us. So now we live in a position where we are, we are born in sin because essentially our DNA, but also because of our choices. You don't have to, how, long, how old does a baby need to be before you try to take something from them and they yank it back and even as soon as they can learn the word mine, or whatever, you know, we, we, we're very self-involved people, which is a result of, some, of our sin nature. And the, and the consequence for that was Adam and Eve got thrown out of the Garden of Eden, which was a perfect environment. They got thrown out of that, separated from God. There had to be a sacrifice made to be able to reestablish that relationship that they had with him. And for all of us, there's a potential for us to be eternally separated from God if we're not able to deal with our sin. And here's the news bulletin. We're not able to deal with our sin. And God knew that. And in that moment, God had a dilemma. He had a change that occurred for him. He knew it was coming. <laughs> but the change for him was to, and the decision he had to make was, do I satisfy my love for these people I've just created and overlook sin? Or do I judge them and satisfy my holiness? Because that's what's been violated. A crime has been committed against God. Somebody has to pay that price. For all intents and purposes, unless God did something else, it would be us who would have to pay that price, and we can't pay it. We don't have enough equity to pay that price. So God made a choice to inspire in us growth in a relationship with him by sending Jesus, who came as a person, took on human flesh, 
lived a sin-free life where he had no debt to God. He had no penalty that he owed to God. And yet he still chose to take on the penalty by going to a cross. He didn't deserve to die. There was nothing that was making him die. He made the choice to go to a cross and take on a penalty, a punishment that belonged to each and every one of us. And by the shedding of his blood and then his burial and then more importantly, his resurrection three days later, which by the way, no one else has ever done. No one else has ever predicted their death, died, and then predicted their resurrection, sorry, and death, died, and then come back. I would say if someone could pull that off, it's worth listening to him, right? And then he offers to each of us an opportunity to be in a relationship with him through the work that Jesus did by trusting that. A simple gift that's not easy to receive because it means letting go of ourselves. I can't do this. I can't do anything. I have to depend on somebody else. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I have to simply show faith. And in that, begin this relationship with Jesus. Commit my life to him. Because after all, if somebody saved your life, would you not want to follow them and be a friend with them for the rest of your life? It's so much more about going to heaven. It's so much more about not going to hell. It's about building a relationship with a savior who loves you and wants to walk with you and wants you to reach a capacity that he's given to you that you cannot get on your own and I cannot get on my own. And he offers that to everybody. And if you've not received that, then that's the first place to start. That's the first change that you can make in your life today. So I just wanna invite everyone online, even here in the room, to bow your heads. And as you bow your head, I wanna lead you through a prayer. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never committed your life, if you've never gone to him and confessed your sin, then I want you to pray this prayer. If you're interested in beginning that relationship today, pray along with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your great and glorious gift. When I could not do it on my own, you did it for me. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you died and that you were resurrected and came back overcoming sin and overcoming death. And I want to confess to you my sins today. And I want to receive your offer of forgiveness because of your resurrection. Make me your child today, Lord. Help me as I commit my life to you to follow you and to become the person you want me to be. If you've prayed that prayer in the room, I want to invite you to take a step of courage and fill out the card that's connected to the bulletin you received on the way in, the program you got. There's a, a little strip that's perforated. You can fill your info in and you could say, I said yes to Jesus, a box to check and this will help us follow up with you because we want to follow up with you. If you're online or if you're in the room and maybe you're more digital savvy, if you're online, you can text the word next to the phone number you see on the screen right now and someone from our team will be in touch with you. After service, if you're in the room, you can go to the next table and there's people there who would love to talk with you, answer your questions and help you with it as well. Whatever decision or however you do this, we want to offer to you the chance to take steps moving forward in your faith because change is inevitable, but growth is a choice. If you've made that choice, we wanna grow with you. And for everybody else, I just wanna encourage you to start making those steps to begin to navigate change. 
Start thinking about your commitment level. Start thinking about your conviction about God. Start thinking through what it means to develop a character that is like Christ. And start in those places that we talked about. And then let's see what God does in your family. Because I believe, even for those who are carrying the greatest burden, some who've been through some of the greatest burdens, God wants to do a special work in your family with, with all of us. And I believe he'll do it if we connect to him. Let me go ahead and pray for you, and then uh, we'll take our offering, and we'll continue in worship. Father, thank you uh, for everything that we've been able to discuss today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, being our God, our Savior, and giving us a chance to navigate the changes that are so prevalent. Uh, it's really since the beginning of time, Lord, if we believe Ecclesiastes. And as we continue in worship, help us to be great givers because it worships you. It's our generosity to you. Help us to also be people who are convicted about our faith and our relationship with you. Help us to be people who inspire our families to grow, that we develop a Christ-like character, uh, that, we, that we have a firm conviction, Father, a commitment to you. And in all of that, Lord, may you begin to help our families. As you've continued to do, may you continue, but may we be aware of that, worship you even more. And even as we continue, we want to serve you because you're such a great God, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' awesome name. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.